your children. Hope you're enjoying the last of the school holidays. Today we're following Mallory, Arthur on their strange adventures. Where will Mallory go? And will Arthur be safe with that tooth fairy mouse person? The big little house. Mallory hated running. While she felt she was potentially a brilliant athlete, she could never come first in a running race, or even second, or even third. She could be in front for a while, but before long she'd get puffed, or get the stitch, and then some other smaller, spottier, bulkier, less intelligent kid would race past her and reach the finish line before she'd reached the halfway point. Perhaps it was fear that drove her, but as she raced down the pathway, for the first time Mallory knew that she had finally reached her brilliant potential. She seemed to fly. She swerved around tree roots and leaned forward into her pace without falling over. Pure momentum kept her pounding ahead with great leaps and long strides. She sucked in air and gasped it out without getting puffed, and the dreaded stitch did not make an appearance. The most pleasing result of running so brilliantly was the realisation that she was leaving the furious baying and howling behind. As she flew, the sounds grew fainter, and gradually, gradually, Mallory grew more confident. With this confidence, her fear diminished, and as fear had been her driving force, she all at once felt utterly exhausted and stopped running out of breath. She was so tired she sank to her knees. Then she rolled to one side and lay on her back, staring up through the tall gum trees at patches of blue sky dotted with clouds like small handfuls of cotton wool. Now there was no sound of the canines at all. The only sounds were the rattle of leaves, the creaking of the trees, and Mallory's own slightly gasping breath. She lay there for some time trying to find peace, but her mind was racing. What was she doing here in the strange, endless forest of gums? How had her cunning plan gone so horribly wrong? She hoped Arthur would be all right. But really, he had been such a wimp not to have put the cage down and flee like her. The stupid mouse had made its point. It was quite safe in the birdcage, and while the budgie might be freaked out by the barking, he'd get over it. Arthur would be all right, surely? He had to be. The mouse would probably do something. The mouse clearly had powers. Probably the mouse would just vaporise the stupid canine things or something like that and everything would be fine. It was too late now to do anything about it anyway. What's done is done, said Nana Rebecca. Nana Rebecca also said, No use crying over spilt milk. Mallory always thought that was an especially ridiculous saying. She'd never, ever felt like crying over spilt milk. She didn't even like milk. Eventually, Mallory stood up. She had been looking backwards. She really needed to be looking forwards. Best foot forward. But as she tried to look forward, Mallory's heart lurched. What were her options now? She didn't seem to have any. Her cunning plan, advised, involved trusting the mouse to somehow get the Chancellor of the Hexchecker, whoever that might be, to agree to pay the ransom, and then she would free the mouse, also revised, and they would be returned home 
to the shed. The plan had to be revised because of that scary conversation in which the mouse had let slip that it knew all about her cunning plan, original, which meant it knew that Mallory had intended to cheat. It was a smart tactic then to scrub the cheating bit in her revised cunning plan and plan to let the wretched mouse go. Mallory was sure the mouse would learn of her change of heart somehow. She had a pang of regret at this decision, but needs must, as Nana Rebecca would have said. Perhaps she could renegotiate the ransom up to $200 or more if she was only going to get one crack at it. But then, still looking forward, another heart lurch. Mm, she had no birdcage. She had no mouse. The howling canines probably now had the cage, the mouse and Bruce. And Arthur? Arthur could have been turned into their breakfast. And all of this gave rise to the awful heart-lurching question. How then would she be able to get home? What could she do? She listened. Just the leaves and the trees. She could not hear the barking any more. That could mean either that she was too far away from the canines now, or it could mean that they had finished breakfast and had no more need to howl and yowl. She had two choices then. Go back to the place she'd just raced away from, or go forward, further away from the canines and the birdcage. The more Mallory thought about it, the more she realised she had no choice. The canines were just too big a risk. By the time she made it all the way back to the birdcage, they would probably be hungry again. Her best option was to keep going. Hadn't the mouse said that there was not too far to go? What the mouse hadn't said was what was not far to go or where was not too far to go. Mallory hoped that whatever or whoever it was, it would be canine-free and that there might be someone or something there able to help her get home. With a last, less than regretful look behind her, Mallory sighed and set off once more, walking this time and keeping her eyes and ears wide open. Mallory didn't often feel lonely. She didn't really like other people very much and mostly preferred her own company. However, as she walked along the seemingly endless pathway surrounded by the tall, ghost-like gum trees on all sides, she began to feel pangs of loneliness. She missed Arthur tagging along behind her. She even missed his whining about how heavy the birdcage was. Now the only sound was the trees and the leaves, which sounded as though they were whispering and muttering something unpleasant. Mallory stopped to strain her ears. There it was, just faintly. Arthur! Arthur! She shook herself, and, reminding herself not to be so ridiculous, hurried on once more. She continued hurrying for some time, and in that hurry did not notice until she was right at it that there was a fork in the path. As soon as she saw it, though, Mallory paused. This was a problem. Should she go left or right? Did it matter? It probably did, she thought. What then? She stood at the junction looking left and right. The smart thing to do would be to take the path that looked more used, 
The trouble was, there was so much leaf litter on both the paths that she couldn't tell which had had the most traffic. Shrugging, Mallory took the right fork. Six of one, half a dozen of the other, she thought. She hadn't gone very far, though, when she realised that the path she was on was not the main thoroughfare after all. It was a driveway leading to a dwelling. All at once the forest of gums gave way to a large area of grass. The sunlight suddenly splashing through made the grass glow with such an emerald brightness Mallory had to blink. It was not only the grass that made Mallory blink. The path continued through the meadow and led right up to the front door of the strangest house Mallory had ever seen. It was a big, little house, or, rather, an enormous little house. It was like a doll's house in reverse. Whereas a doll's house is a fraction the size of an ordinary house, this one was several times the size, and yet it looked like a little house. There was only one door and only one window on either side of it. The house was white. The door was green and the simple shingled roof was bright tomato red. It looked like the kind of house a child might draw. The door was probably ten times Mallory's height and the windows correspondingly huge. Instinctively, Mallory stepped back into the shadow of the trees. It was weird and a little unsettling. All was quiet. The house looked deserted. There were no obvious outbuildings, just the pathway leading up to the front door. There was also, now that Mallory noticed it, a sign on a post. Curiosity overcoming her apprehension, Mallory left the trees and walked up the path as far as the sign. The sign was huge and so very high that Mallory had to lean back to read it. The Molars happily nestled in the gums, pie-makers to the famous and the most discerning. Hmm. She had no idea what the first line meant, except perhaps it was a family name. However, the last part filled her with hope. She realised she was very hungry after all the tension and all the running. A pie sounded quite delicious. The molars. Mallory stood before the enormous door, staring up at the knocker. Like the door handle itself, the big brass knocker was too high for her to reach. She had no qualms now about knocking at the door. There was no howling or yelling. The quiet was comforting. There was, too, something about the words pie-makers that sounded friendly, sort of warm and crusty. She put her ear to the door, but there was nothing to hear. Mm, here goes, she thought, and banged on the door with her fist. However, the door was very solid, and Mallory wasn't sure she would have made enough noise to rouse whoever was inside. The molars. That suggested more than one. She banged again, louder this time. She was still dissatisfied. She was unable to knock nearly loud enough. She tried one more time, this time slapping at the door with her open hand and crying, Hello! at the same time. Once again, 
she put her ear to the door. Her ear was still pressed against the door when it suddenly opened. Mallory would have tumbled inside had her fall not been broken by the huge leg standing before her. She banged into it just below the knee. Mallory gasped and backed away from the leg, looking up wide-eyed at a huge creature. It might have been five metres tall, or even taller. Mallory was not very good at measurement. It was dressed all in white and was wearing a long, grubby, white apron. He, it was a he, Mallory thought, had a woolly white beard, washy white eyebrows and a cocked pastry cook's hat. He looked to be dusted in flour. He looked about for a moment or two before spotting Mallory far below. Hello, he boomed. What are you? Mallory thought that was the wrong question. Surely he should have asked, Who are you? However, before Mallory could respond, the figure was joined by another equally tall. This one was clearly female, although she also wore the same long apron and pastry cook's hat. She was wearing a long white dress and she had a flower-smudged chin rather than a woolly white beard. Fluffy white hair sprouted wildly beneath her hat. She stood peering over the first figure's shoulder. What is it, Maury? Her voice was higher pitched, but equally booming. Maury pointed, and the second figure gasped as she spied Mallory. What is it? she repeated. I've already asked it what it is, Molly, said Maury. It hasn't told me yet. Perhaps it doesn't know how to talk. I'm Mallory, shouted Mallory. Hillary? asked Maury. Mallory, shouted Mallory, even louder. It says it's a Mallory, said Maury to Molly. What's a Mallory? asked Molly, stepping out from behind Maury in order to take a closer look. She bent down over Mallory, staring intensely. No idea, said Maury. Doesn't look like much. No, agreed Molly. "'standing up again. "'Not a lot to it at all. "'What's it want, do you think?' "'No idea,' said Murray. "'Then he too leaned over Mallory "'and addressed her directly. "'What do you want?' he boomed. "'I'm hungry,' cried Mallory. "'Would you have a pie?' "'Says it wants a pie,' said Murray to Molly. "'It's come to the right place, then,' laughed Molly. "'But it doesn't look like it could do much damage.' To a pie. What kind of pie? Boom, Maury. We have steak, lamb and cheese, steak, cheese and lamb, lamb, steak and cheese, lamb, cheese and steak, cheese, steak and lamb, or cheese, lamb and steak. Do you have a vegetarian option? Asked Mallory. Apple! Boomed Maury. I'll have apple, said Mallory. Do you want the apple with steak? Lamb or cheese? Mallory was confused. Couldn't you do just apple? She asked. Most unusual, said Maury. It says it wants just apple. He shouted at Molly, who was standing just behind him. Just apple, said Molly. Most unusual. Are you sure? Boomed Maury. Mallory nodded. We'll have to bake one specially, shouted Molly. It'd cost extra, of course. Cost? asked Mallory, her heart sinking. She hadn't considered this. She didn't have any money. 
The dollar coin the tooth fairy had brought with it was still back in the birdcage. Of course it had cost extra, repeated Moray. Special, one-off edition, non-menu, custom-made apple pie. How much extra? asked Mallory nervously. Well, there's the apple, the pastry, the gravy, the cheese. No cheese, said Mallory. Just apple. Mmm. Well, let's say one dollar, and with a discount for the cheese. One dollar, said Morrie, beaming. One dollar including a discount for the cheese, added Molly. Mallory thought quickly. She was starving. She suddenly needed that apple pie. Do you offer credit? she asked cautiously. Crack it? asked Morrie. What's crack it? Is it like cheese? asked Molly. Well said Mallory. It's kind of like eat now, pay later. Eat now, pay later? asked Molly. Pay later, eat now? asked Molly. Most unusual, said Molly, stroking his fluffy white beard. Not usual at all, said Molly, scratching her pastry cook's hat. How much later? asked Molly suspiciously. Not long, lied Mallory as convincingly as she could manage. You see, I have one hundred, no, two hundred dollars coming to me soon, but it's currently locked up, you see. Locked up? said Molly. In a birdcage, explained Mallory. A birdcage? asked Molly. The money is in a birdcage? asked Molly. Well, not exactly, said Mallory. This was getting complicated, but she was getting hungrier and hungrier. Not the money, exactly. There's a mouse in the birdcage. A mouse? asked Mori. And a budgie? added Mallory. A budgie? asked Molly. Named Bruce, said Mallory. There was a silence as the two giant pastry cooks tried to process all that Mallory had told them. Finally, Mori asked, but where is the money. The mouse has the money, said Mallory, but then tried to clarify. I mean, the mouse hasn't exactly got the money, but it has given me one dollar. One dollar, laughed Molly. There you are then. You can pay for the pie. (sighs) But the dollar is back in the birdcage, said Mallory miserably. And the three hundred dollars, asked Mallory. Two hundred dollars, corrected Mallory. Two hundred dollars, asked Molly. The mouse has to fetch the two hundred dollars, explained Mallory. Fetch? asked Molly. Yes, from the Chancellor of the Hexchequer. The Chancellor of the Hexchequer? That's what the mouse said. Well, if it's the Chancellor of the Hexchequer, said Molly, I suppose it's all right then. She's a very dear friend. You'd better come in. The pie. Mallory followed the two giant pastry cooks down the short passage and into a large kitchen. In pride of place was a huge iron oven with a pile of wood stacked beside it. Judging by the peeling white bark, they were gum logs. The oven was black and shiny, with highly polished brass fittings gleaming in the light. There were benches stacked with pie dishes and mixing bowls and... Hanging on hooks, a great collection of iron ladles, spatulas and mixing spoons. Everything was supersized. 
Mallory could have had a bath in some of the larger bowls and doubted whether she could have lifted the larger spoons. Morrie immediately busied himself putting together the apple pie, but Molly bent down and picked up Mallory as if she were a doll. "'Better put you out of harm's way, little thing,' she said. "'You'll be under our feet before you know it, else.' She placed Mallory gently on the top of a massive table that took up most of the centre of the kitchen. After years of wiping and scrubbing, its surface was as white as the flour that dusted much of the rest of the room. "'I've never seen a Mallory before,' remarked Molly. "'Do you have a name?' "'It's Mallory,' said Mallory, a little irked. "'You're a Mallory, and your name's Mallory as well,' laughed Molly. "'What a comeuppance! Mallory, Mallory! How odd! Most unusual!' Morrie laughed as well. "'Be like calling your dog, dog, or your frog, frog.' "'Or I could call you Mola Mola, and you could call me Mola Mola.' and we'd never be able to tell ourselves apart. What a hoot! Mallory was not amused. She wanted to say something smart, like it was not a comeuppance, but a coincidence, but thought better of it. The kitchen smells were driving her appetite wild, crusty, yeasty, buttery flavours, all seasoned with the eucalyptus smell of the gum logs. Soon these smells were joined by the delicious scent of apple, as Molly began vigorously peeling, paring and slicing a great pile of apples she was selecting from a massive basket. They're big apples, said Mallory, never having seen bigger apples. Peas goods, none such, boomed Maury, from our very own tree out back. The best. He was hard at work on the pastry. He'd taken a bowl and upended a bucket of flour into it. Then he chopped butter into great cubes and was now working it into the flour with his giant fingers. Once it was crumbly, he mixed in some water. "'You're sure you don't want cheese?' asked Molly. "'Or beef or lamb?' asked Morrie. "'Absolutely,' said Mallory. "'Just apple.' "'Very unusual,' said Morrie. "'Most unorthodox,' said Molly. "'What does unorthodox mean?' asked Mallory. Very unusual, said Morrie. Now he had thrown a great scattering of flour over the bench and was rolling out the pastry with a rolling pin the size of a drain pipe. As soon as Morrie had carefully laid the pastry into a great pie dish, Molly upended her bowl of chopped apple into it and then dusted the apple with cinnamon. The smell was divine. While Morrie opened the oven door, Molly put a cap of pastry on top of the pie and squeezed around the seam with her forefinger and thumb, giving it a scalloped edge. With a knife, she jabbed a few holes into the top of the crust and then handed the pie to Morrie, who manoeuvred it into the oven and slammed the door shut. Boy, that pie sure sounds yummy, doesn't it? But I think I'd be too scared to eat with those giant people around, wouldn't you? It all gets weirder and weirder. Next time we'll check back with Mallory and some rather scary things that happened to her. 
After you've got all your school stationery sorted, so boring, take a trip up to Otaki to visit Jackie and her team at Books & Co for something a bit more fun. Loads of books and happy faces. Goodbye. Happy reading. This program is made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.